you could pull out your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. We are actually in the uh, final part of the book of Acts, and uh, we are finishing the scripture in Acts 28 today. Pastor Johnny is going to recap it next week, but this is it. We've gone through quite a long journey, and as we jump into the final message in the scripture of the book of Acts, let me remind you what may have been lost on us, which is Acts, the book, is not about the Apostle Paul. It's not about the Apostle Peter. It's not about any of the great men and women of God that we have met along this journey. It is about the Spirit of God. It is about Jesus Christ. It is about the church. It is about the mission that God has given to every one of his children. And with that, we're going to jump right into it. And I have four points that I want to present to you as we finish the scripture in Acts 28. And I trust that you have your Bibles open, whether you are here in person or at home watching this. I want to encourage you to have your Bibles open. And let me give you the first point. And the first point is the book of Acts is entirely focused on the mission of the gospel. Now, a long time ago, I've been in this series for almost two and a half years. We've had frequent breaks, but I began a long time ago by citing a scene from the 1982 movie Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And there was a scene there of a computer simulation that showed a rocket being fired to the surface of a lifeless moon. And it was called the Genesis Effect because when that rocket detonated on the surface of that moon, it began to rapidly generate water and oceans and forests and life until that dead moon was transformed into a life-sustaining planet. Now, I want you to get that image in your mind as I take you all the way back to two and a half years ago. And this is what I said then. That in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which we're about to read, God fired a missile called the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it detonated in Jerusalem, and it would begin to spread to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, and wherever it would go, wherever the gospel would go, it would bring spiritual life with it. See, this is what Acts 1, 8 says, and this is really the focus and the center point of the book of Acts, Jesus is speaking. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, the Spirit of God empowers the church. Friends, Christian brother and sister, you and I, we are the delivery system for this life-generating message. The Spirit of God empowers the church, filling us with boldness, filling us with power to proclaim to anyone who will trust in Jesus Christ that they have their sins forgiven and they can have eternal life. That's our message I've said throughout this long series that God is not asking his people to be expert theologians who can explain and defend all the doctrines of the Bible. He's not asking 
you or me to become a toastmaster that is fluent and eloquent in front of people. He's not even inviting you to join a divine debate team. God wants you right where you are. He wants your eyes open to opportunities that he is going to bring you. He wants you to be you and to simply share what you know. But as you walk with him faithfully in life, studying the word of God, you are going to have more that you know to share. So as we approach the end of Acts, what we're going to see is that Acts has been but the beginning. The beginning of what would continue to unfold even to our day. The proclamation of the gospel to the end of the earth. And Paul is relentlessly focused, even until the end, he is relentlessly focused on the mission of proclaiming the gospel. His life beats with it. Now, that would be a great place for you and I to pause. Now, I want everybody to look at me for just a moment. I know it's kind of painful to do that for a protracted period of time. Some of you are young. Some of you are not so young. That's a nice way of saying old, over the hill, on the decline, of which I am one of them. Have you ever proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ to any unbeliever in your life? Now, Christian brother and sister, whether you're young or whether you're middle-aged or whether you're old, that's your mission. There is not another one. And you have the spirit of God inside you, my young sister and brother, and my older brother and sister. You have the spirit of God inside of you, just as I do. And you have the boldness and you have the power that he will provide for you and the opportunities that even now he has surrounded you with unbelievers. That's your mission field. So really, if you want to be obedient to this message, if you want to be obedient to the gospel, to the, uh, to the book, of Acts, then what you really need to do is begin saying to God Almighty, I will begin to be a witness of Jesus Christ. I will be obedient by the grace and the power that you provide. See, Paul is focused on proclaiming the gospel. Now, I really want to do one more thing, and then we're going to get right into the book of Acts. I want to, I want to separate You from this notion that God, or Paul rather, is some super, super saint, and you and I are just normal. Friends, I need to tell you something. You need to see something differently. Paul is no different than you. He has prayed throughout the book of Acts for courage and boldness. He has struggled. He has been discouraged. He has been depressed. He has been lonely. He has had times where he felt fruitless in ministry. Just like we all feel. He's no different than you and he's no different than me. If you are a Christian, meaning you have put your faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection to save you. If you are a believer, you and Paul are on level terms. 
There's nothing that Paul did as he lived out the purposes of God in his life that you cannot do as you live out the purposes of God in yours. The issue is, American Christian, are you lazy? Are you disobedient? That's really the issue. And I will not want to be in your shoes, and I will not want to be in my shoes if I am lazy and disobedient when I come face to face with my Savior. It is time to proclaim the message of Jesus. Here we go, verse 17. After three days, Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews when they had appointed, verse 23, a day for him. They came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. So here we've got Paul. He's finally made it to Rome. He is with Luke, the author of Acts. He is with his close friend, Aristarchus. The three of them are best friends. Do you have a best friend? I hope your best friends are Christian. How can two lie down together and keep warm if they are not together? How can your spiritual passion stay hot and burn with zeal if you don't have Christians around you? They get the, together, the three of them, they are in Rome, and Paul is able to rent a home where he is in house arrest. He's got a soldier around the clock in shifts, chained to his arm. The soldier's arm chained to one of Paul's arms. But he's not been convicted yet, so he's got a certain measure of freedom. He can have visitors. They can come. They can go. He just can't leave this home. It's almost like our modern day. He's got an ankle monitor, and he can't leave the house. And as he'd done throughout Acts, he reached out to the local Jews first, and he asked and respectfully requested they come to visit. And they did, and he explained to them what brought him to Rome as a prisoner, why he was in chains. And these Jewish leaders said, well, we've heard nothing about what, they, what has happened to you, but we have heard about this sect. Do you see that word in the text? This is why you should be looking at your Bibles. That word in the Greek means heresy. And what they're referring to, they really don't know it, but what they're referring to is what's called by the Jewish people the sect of the Nazarenes, pointing to Jesus because this was the way, this was the church. These were the Christians who followed a man, the God-man, Jesus, who grew up in the town of Nazareth. This is the sect of the Nazarenes a man from Nazareth. And Paul told them, verse 20, he was in chains because of the hope of Israel. Now pause for a moment. If I were you, and you've got your Bibles open before you, please don't do this in the pew Bible. But if you have your Bible open before you, I would underline that phrase because of the hope of Israel, and I would put out in your margin, that was a Jewish phrase for the Messiah. That's what they called the Messiah. The Messiah was the hope of Israel. He is the deliverer. It's the greatest hope of Israel. They're in bondage to Rome. And the Jewish mind thought the Messiah was going to come. They've talked about it all in the Old Testament. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. And they believed when the Messiah came, he would free them from Rome. But the Messiah really came to deliver them from sin, from the power of the devil. 
And they stirred up the interest of the Jewish visitors, this group did, and they agreed to visit him again, this talk of the Messiah. It was stirring them up. They said, we're going to come again. We want to discuss what you think about the Messiah because you're telling us he already came. And it moves us to point number two, rejection of Jesus has a divine purpose. Look at verse 23 and follow with me. When they appointed a day for him, for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. Now a whole lot of them are coming. They're very interested in what he's got to say. And the whole day, morning till evening, he expounded to them. He taught them. He explained to them. He testified to them the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He took their own scriptures. This is the whole of it, the law of Moses and the prophets, And he began to show them that the kingdom of God had come. The Messiah was here. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. We'll look at that statement in a moment. But Paul does hear what he had done throughout the entire book of Acts. He took the message of Jesus first to the Jewish people... But they always rejected it, and then he would turn to the Gentiles. A Gentile is a non-Jewish person. The entire human race, by the way, are either Jews or Gentiles. And he would go to the Gentiles, and multitudes of people would get saved as he would witness of the gospel of Jesus. And what seemed a promising beginning, these Jews were interested, these Jews of Rome. They came back in greater numbers, but... They typically always, and they did, follow the same pattern. The date arrived. They came to meet Paul in his uh, house he was imprisoned in. And this time, a lot of them came with them. And Paul took the entire day. He teaches them the gospel. He teaches them about the kingdom of God. And he tells them that the kingdom of God has a king. And the king is Jesus. And Jesus is the hope of Israel. He is here. Some believed, most did not, and they began to debate among themselves, and here's what Paul said to them that made them stand up and leave in anger. He said, verse 25, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now this is a prophecy that Isaiah, all the way back in the Old Testament, pronounced. And in that prophecy, God is the one speaking, and God said that Israel will not believe. Now listen, he will make them deaf, he will make them blind, he will make it so that they do not see and know the Messiah when the Messiah comes. Why? Because they would not believe. See, wherever you see God hardening people's hearts, They have already begun the hardening process themselves. 
Paul commented on this in Romans. He wrote the book of Romans three years previous to this time that he's in this house, in this city, speaking to these Jews. And he had written in that book, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Paul told them that Israel's loss, what they were missing out on, was the Gentiles' gain. He said, look at 28, verse 28 in our passage, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. You see, for a while, and I want you to hear this because this has been wildly mistaught, For a while, God would harden Israel's heart. Why? Because they would not believe. They would not believe in their Messiah, Jesus. So God would harden Israel's heart. And during that time of their hardening, now listen, he would pour out salvation on the Gentiles. And seeing Gentiles coming to faith, it would make Israel jealous. This is what Romans 11 says. There will be a day, friends, when Israel will turn to Jesus as her Messiah. Because there's a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. There is a future when God will pour out salvation on Israel, but right now, they have a stupor. They have a hardened heart. And the only thing that can awaken a hardened heart is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must proclaim it. But this was more than his Jewish visitors could take. They left rejecting Jesus. But there is more to the story, point three. And I want you to read it with me, verse 30. He lived there, Paul did, two whole years at his own expense. You see, unlike today's jails, you don't get a free ride as a criminal. You have to pay for your expenses in a Roman jail. If you don't pay, if you don't have money, if you don't have people providing for you, you don't eat. You will literally starve to death in a prison in Rome. So he's paying for his own expenses, and he welcomed all who came to him two whole years, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And let me tell you something that maybe you don't know. Almost all experts agree. Acts 28 is not the end of Paul's ministry. You see, while he was in house arrest, he wrote four books of the Bible, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon. Yet after those two years in prison, he was released. Did you know that? Apparently... With the emperor Nero knowing his trial was a sham. He had no legal means to execute him. 
And Paul had known this release was coming. He wrote in Philippians chapter 119 that he will be released. He knew that he would get out of jail. And when he was released, he, he embarked on his fourth missionary journey, strengthening churches, starting churches. But he came to a Rome that had an insane emperor. And that emperor was Nero. You see, in July 18th, A.D. 64, a fire broke out in the city of Rome. It destroyed 70% of the city, 70% of the city. The city of Rome was divided into 14 districts. The slum district, the poorest of the districts, is where the Christians lived. I'll tell you why they lived in the poorest of the districts. Number one, they were so generous that they gave a lot of their money away. Number two, they were considered pagans by the Romans, meaning they wouldn't serve and worship the Roman gods. So you're a pagan. We would say somebody's a pagan when they won't worship God at all. They called the Christians pagans because they wouldn't worship the Roman gods. And so they were losing jobs. They could not get jobs. They lived in the, in the poorest district in Rome. And what Nero did in his insanity was successfully blame the fire on the Christians because the fire began not too far from that slum district. You see, their district was the Circus Maximus. That's what it was called. Each of the districts had a name. And that's near where the fire started. And this district, not only was it near where the fire started, this was one of the few districts that was never consumed in the blaze. God even protected his people then. But it made them more blamable, more culpable. So he had hundreds, Nero did, hundreds of Christians rounded up. He would sew them inside animal skins and then put them in the Colosseum and set hungry lions loose on them. He would take and impale them on poles. He would dip Christians in wax and then crucify them around the perimeter of his palace garden and then invite all the wealthy and the aristocratic people and then he would light them on fire to give them light while they ate. This is true. This is all true. See, Paul apparently had returned to Rome. You want to know why I can tell you why I think he did? It's because he would not let those Christians suffer alone. He would shepherd them even through their greatest persecution until Nero arrested him and martyred him by beheading. The only reason he wasn't impaled or given to the lions or crucified was because he was a Roman citizen. So they had a sword take off his head. You're going to meet him one day if you have faith in Jesus. And he will tell you all about what he did. But my final point for you is actually a lot more personal. See, the final point is that this is just the end of the beginning. It seems likely that Luke ended the book this way without telling us the rest of the story simply because his account was not about Paul. 
It was about Jesus, and it was about the mission that he gave to the church, and the mission is still going. It's not finished. People still need to come into the kingdom of God. Colossians 1 says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Christian, you have been brought out of the domain of darkness where you did not know the truth. He has enabled you to know the truth. And the the Messiah, the deliverer, has taken you out of that domain. And he has put you into the kingdom of his beloved son. Your king is Jesus in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And brothers and sisters, the end of Acts is only the beginning of what is now our turn, our turn to serve and our turn to be witnesses. This is why Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, these are men and women that went before us and they, many of them were martyred for their faith. Since we are surrounded by them, it's a coliseum, we're running the race and up in the bleachers are all these saints of old like Isaiah and Samson and Rebecca and Ruth and Naomi and they're clapping and they're cheering us. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And our race is run in this area of the country where God has brought us to be his witnesses. And I want to tell you a little about this area of our country. In the 1700s, What is now called the Lehigh Valley belonged to the Lenny Lenape Indians. They were called the Delaware Indians as well. They had become close, close friends with a very notable, famous historical figure, William Penn. But William Penn eventually died and his three sons didn't treat the Lenape well, especially his sons John and Thomas, Richard as well, but particularly the first two. And together with Bucks County Secretary James Logan, the three of them began selling land to European settlers, mostly from Germany, that were coming into this area, but they were selling land that the Lenape still owned. They had no right to sell this land. So the three of them, the Penn brothers and Logan, schemed of a way that they could obtain a clear title to this land, this area of the country. And they showed the Lenape leaders, the chiefs of the Lenny Lenape, a 50-year-old doctored copy of a deed agreement that William Penn had the rights to the land, but that he had never paid for it. The land promised by the Lenape to William, they said would be the amount of land that you could walk in a day and a half. Walking to the Indians was a leisurely stroll with frequent stops to smoke their pipes. So the walking purchase, as it would be later called, did not seem a very troublesome, burdensome, or threatening thing. But what they did not know was this. The Penn brothers had marked out and cleared the trail beforehand... They had ferries waiting at the streams, what we call the Bushkill, and which was deeper at that point, the Lehigh and the Delaware, to get the runners across the river. So that, and, and they didn't know that they would hire not walkers, but three men who trained for months to run. 
On September 19, 1737, the so-called Walking Purchase Treaty would steal almost as much land from the Lenape Indians as Rhode Island. It comprises what is today Northampton, Pike, Monroe, Carbon, and Bucks counties. And where this deceptive treaty began was Easton, Pennsylvania. Just after this deceptive land grab, God sent a young man by the name of David Brainerd to Easton as a missionary to witness of Jesus Christ to the Lenape who refused to leave the area. Brainerd led Lenape chief Moses Tunda Tatami to salvation, and Chief Tatami became his interpreter. But around that same time in 1738, a doctor who was expelled from Germany for practicing witchcraft moved into Robsville, Pennsylvania, just below Easton. Johann Peter Seiler was his name. And he established a successful folk medicine practice using herbal remedies, charms, magical spells, laying out of hands. He treated people all along the East Coast, even all the way down to Georgia. He eventually owned hundreds of acres of land, including land near Hexenkopf Park, or Rock. He was one of the first non-Indians to hold powwows, where he would reportedly heal sick people by drawing the evil spirits and the demons from them and trapping them into the rocks of Hexenkopf Hill. Silers died on January 8th, 1803, as tombstones marked with a carving of a six-pointed flower. It's still there today, drawn with a compass, intending to keep evil spirits away. His son, Peter Jr., actually changed their name to Sailor, and he expanded his father's witch practice, becoming known for his magical abilities to call down power and heal the sick. Did you know that was the history of this area? Do you know that my pastor friends from the west end of the Lehigh Valley over into Phillipsburg all remark that the closer you come to Easton, the darker things spiritually get. This is why we're here. This is why we're downtown Easton as a church. This is why you and I, Christian brother and sister, must proclaim Jesus. For a city will be blessed by the righteous in it. But it is the righteous who have right living. And right living is to speak of our Savior and our Lord Jesus. You see, the history of this area is full of darkness. It's full of deception. It exists to this day. And there are people trapped in bondage to it. And they cannot get out of their own power. They are generationally repeating the chains of bondage. They are coming into this area and being drawn into this darkness. And if it weren't for the people of God interceding for them and bringing the gospel to them, they have no hope. They have no hope. And this is as true in your schools as it is in your neighborhoods, as it is at your jobs. 
You and I have been saved, Christian brother and sister, by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he has sent us into this area to witness of what he has done for us and bring the hope of salvation to others. Share what you know. Just share what you know. See, Acts 28 is the end of the beginning, but now it is our turn, church, to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, even all the way to eastern Pennsylvania. Let's pray. Father, we cannot take this message lightly. There are people trapped in bondage and darkness, Lord, demonic spirits, addictions, strongholds all around us. Lord, they are people that we might not even know that are in bondage, but they are. And the only power that can deliver people from the domain of darkness and put them into the kingdom of the Son is the gospel message, and we must witness of it. Father, there's some of us, I want to confess, sometimes me, we just lack the boldness. And honestly, we lack the love. Because if we really loved the unbelievers, we would tell them about Jesus. Lord, would you give us boldness? Would you give us the words? Would you give us the opportunities? And let us not shirk our responsibility. Let us be excited to speak of our Lord and Savior. He has changed our lives. He has saved us. And may this be the beginning of what for this church could be a mighty, powerful ministry in this entire region. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.